Jung believed that Jung was a student of Nietzsche. It's something that isn't well known about Jung because most of the history of psychoanalytic thought was written by the Freudians, and they think of Jung as a student of Freud, and of course that's true. Jung was really introduced to the idea, the profound idea of the unconscious through Freud, and also, at least in part, to the idea that there was an interior world of symbols. But at the same time, Jung was a student of Nietzsche, and you see, Nietzsche announced the death of God in the late 1900s, and what he meant by that, in some sense, was that he meant that the spirit of truth that had been instantiated by Christianity had turned against the, the dogma of Christianity and destroyed it. And what he meant by that was that the, emerging, the, 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 the emergence of science in the context of Western culture and the elaborate description of physical reality that, he, that was developed as a consequence ended up in apparent contradiction with the truths of with the truths of, of our religious tradition and we pick the most developed truth and let the other one go and Nietzsche was not celebrating that contrary to what most people think I mean when he spoke of the death of God he said that it was an absolute catastrophe and that we, we would pay for it with millions of lives and that was his prognostication for the 20th century which happened to come true in precisely the manner he indicated for exactly the reasons. Nietzsche believed that we would have to invent our own values because we had become, because the old values that we had lived by had, had bled themselves out and died. But the problem with that, and this is something you picked up on, the problem with that is that you can't invent your own values. And you know that because all of you have tried on New Year's Day to decide that you're going to eat less and go to the gym. And you'd think if you could create your own values, you know, being this sort of demigod, that as soon as you told yourself that you would eat properly and go to the gym, you'd be up at six in the morning, you know, eating carrots and rutabagas and then going off to lift heavy weights. And of course you're not. You're sitting in your chair at night eating Cheetos and, and watching, watching pornography, you know. <laughs> so. How in the world is something like that supposed to create its own values? You're, you're not in control of yourself to that degree. And so Jung's answer to that problem was, to, was essentially to, to look partly within and partly to look in the symbolic domain. And what he realized as a consequence of doing that was that there was a profound answer to the question of the resurrection of value. And for him, that was really the embodiment of the pattern of of Christ, that was the self as far as Jung was concerned. There's no difference between the, the archetypal self and the symbolic Christ. They were the same thing as far as Jung was concerned, insofar as Christ is the vision of the perfect man, right? Which is a symbolic vision. So you could say, well, what is Christ? And the answer to that is, well, Christ is whatever you think of as the perfect man. Now, you're going to have diverse representations of that, so you could think about it Christ as the totality of the visions of the perfect man. It's something like that. And then that the goal of life was to embody that as deeply as possible. And Jung also believed that the world would transform itself around you to the degree that you did that, to, a, to, a, to an unspecifiable degree. And that's where the, the symbolic reality and the historical reality unite. You know, and, because 
And, and we know it's true. We also know this is true. If you look at people like Gandhi or you look at people like Solzhenitsyn, for example, these are great people who stood up as moral icons, let's say, in the midst of absolute chaos. And they transformed entire civilizations by doing that, by standing up for what they believed to be true. They transformed the entire world around them. And of course, they're only partially perfect, someone like Solzhenitsyn or someone like Gandhi or, or perhaps someone like Nelson Mandela. They're only partial incarnations of perfection, but even to the degree that they were flawed, you know, they were perfect enough so that despite their remnant flaws, they were able to reorganize being itself around them. And we don't know what the ultimate limit of that is. We really don't. It could be that everything will align itself around people to the degree that they put themselves together. And I actually, I've had experiences that make me convinced that that's the case. I, I truly believe that that's the case. So, and that's also what gives me some, some belief in these strange Christian ideas about the harrowing of hell and the overcoming of death. It's like we have no idea what we could do as individual embodiments of the logos, which is clearly what we are, because we're all conscious. We have no idea what obstacles we could overcome and what, what massive transformations we could undertake if we actually lived our lives properly. God only knows what we could get rid of. We could get rid of malaria. We could get rid of schistosomiasis and the guinea worm. Those are going to be gone soon anyways. Polio. We're going to get rid of hunger. Maybe we can get rid of death. Maybe we can get rid of hell. Who knows? And I know I'm certainly someone who believes that hell is real because I've read enough of the accounts of what happened in the 20th century to know precisely that it's as real as the most warped imagination can possibly make it. And that's plenty real enough for me. So, well, so I would say Jung's vision is very much in keeping as far as I can understand with the central traditions of the Orthodox Church because he believed that it was the highest moral duty of the, of the awake soul to participate in manifestation of the self that's and that's this union of things that, that Jonathan talked about that's beyond duality it's it's to bring everything in you together into this kind of harmony that then extends beyond you into your family and and past that it's musical that's what music represents that's why we find it so intensely meaningful that's what music tells us it's a it's a it's an artwork based upon the meaning of pattern and it, and it infuses everyone. You know what it's like to listen to music. So one of the things that really affected Jung, who, who, by the way, worked for the American government and the CIA during World War II, um, sending them psychological reports on Hitler. Um, Jung meditated for a very long period of time on what happened in Nazi Germany. And Jung's the dictum that he derived from his alchemical studies was insterquilinus inventur, which I'm probably saying wrong, but it means the thing you want most will be, to, will be found the place you least want to look. And so for Jung, because one of the questions you might ask yourself is that if enlightenment is possible, let's say, if union with the self is possible or some sort of mystical transcendence, why in the world aren't we just all that way? What, what's the barrier? It's like, well, we could be way better. Well, why not just do it then, if it's just right there ahead of us? But, but the answer to, the, to that is, is, I, is something like, you cannot conceive of how good a human being might be until you can conceive of how evil a human being can and will be. And that means to encounter in yourself the Nazi, the, the prison guard, the Auschwitz guard, to understand fully that there is no difference between you 
and the people who were killing children in the Nazi death camps. That's you. And that's that encounter with hell. That's literally that encounter with hell. You're a denizen of hell insofar as you're capable of that, and you are capable of that. And there isn't anything, I think, that can scare you straight except that knowledge. You can be, you can be and are a, a, a vessel that can be used for absolute evil, and you would participate in it. You would participate in it. And so for Jung, the pathway to it's like Dante, you don't get to paradise before you go to the lowest levels of hell, right right at the bottom where betrayal lurks. For Dante, that was the worst of all sins. And so it's a terrifying process. I try to teach my students in my Maps of Meaning class, which is the opposite of a safe space as far as I'm concerned. I, I, and I mean that technically, I truly do mean that. I try to convince my students, I try to get them to meditate on the fact that they're the damn Nazis. Really? Because what is it? It's, what is it, the Germans? Like, come on, really? No, obviously not. It's people. And so the pathway to paradise is through hell. And that's, it's no wonder no one goes there. I mean, who wants to go there? No one. Well, if you don't go there voluntarily, you'll go there accidentally. So it's better to go there voluntarily because then you can go with hope. You can say, I can withstand this. Maybe I can find a light at the end of the tunnel.